Welcome to Think Aloud, where we're trying to make sense of the world in the most unbanky way we can. In our first episode, trade tensions have escalated, global economic growth is slowing, and markets have been getting spooked. Many central banks around the world hope they can come to the rescue by cutting interest rates. But is monetary policy alone enough to stave off a downturn? I'm Rebecca Byrne, and today we're looking at the options available to the US Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, and the Bank of England, with ING's James Knightley, Carsten Brzezewski, and James Smith. First up, the Fed, with Chief International Economist James Knightley. James, the Fed cut interest rates by a quarter point, but actually the US economy is still pretty strong, isn't it? Was it wise to take preemptive action when the unemployment rate is at a 50-year low, consumer spending still holding up pretty well, and until recently, stocks were at record highs? Yeah, on the face of it, the US economy looks in really good shape, but I think there are a growing number of headwinds that the Federal Reserve is getting at least, at least a little bit worried about. And of course, the big one is trade. Uh, the fear being that it's an intensification of the global trade war. It's going to sort of damage business confidence. It could hurt supply chains, weaken profitability. And therefore, that could eventually turn into weaker investment spending in the US economy and weaker hiring in the US economy, which of course then feeds through into the outlook for consumer spending. So I think there is room given inflation is low, to offer a precautionary rate cut to try and insulate the US economy from those risks uh, from a negative trade story. But in some ways, James, you could argue that the rate cuts sort of made things slightly worse in the, in, the, um, in the sense that it emboldened President Trump to hike tariffs again, which he did the day after the Fed cut rates. Yeah, I, I think obviously listening to the narrative from President Trump, he is very keen to have all levers of the US economy pushing the same direction. He obviously wants to make progress and, and get real concessions out of China with regard to these trade uh, talks. And he feels that applying the maximum amount of pressure um, could actually unlock uh, some action from China. Now, of course, he sees China offering significant stimulus to try and protect their economy. And he would like the Federal Reserve to step in to do more to try and help its own economy. But of course, uh, the Federal Reserve is an independent central bank. And it has, as we, we've already discussed, got an economy that's performing relatively well and inflation is close to target. So I guess the scope for, for interest rate cuts is pretty limited relative to elsewhere. But um, as I say, those risks to growth from trade um, are clearly a, a threat uh, in the Fed's mind. And uh, therefore, they do feel that as though they've got the room and therefore the, the option to, to cut rates. Mm -hmm. Trump has been tweeting a lot about the Fed recently and trying to sort of jawbone them into further action. But is there a chance, do you think, that some members might get a bit sick of the president telling them how to do their job and sort of push back against it? Well, the Federal Reserve is an independent central bank and it wants to uh, determine monetary policy how it sees, sees fit. So um, I think there is scope um, or some uh, potential for the Federal Reserve to uh, well, not, not, not necessarily to, to criticise the president or, or, or push back, but I think they'll look to stand their own ground and make the case based on the news flow and the data that they are seeing. And I think that they will continue to emphasise that because important, the, the, the significance or the, the importance of credibility in the central banking world is very, very high. And I think the Federal Reserve is going to seek to continue to protect that. But are rate cuts really the answer, James, to the threats that the Fed is facing, that the US is facing? It seems like a sort of a blunt tool. What can a quarter point really do if the problem is the ongoing trade war? Yeah, I, mean, I think the, the, the risk is that the trade tensions are going to intensify in the near term. There's little 
inclination from the Federal Reserve, or sorry, from, from President Trump to back down. And the Chinese also seem uh, as though they're not willing to offer the concessions that President Trump wants at this stage. So, so given that backdrop, the market is thinking the Fed is actually going to have to do more. They're pricing in an extra four rate cuts over the next 18 months. Now, that will, to a certain extent, provide some uh, protection or some support to the U.S. growth story. But I would argue that if the key threat to the U.S. outlook is trade, then it's actually trade that we need to see action on to deliver the stability and the confidence for the U.S. economy to 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 bounce back sharply, shall we say. Now, we remain pretty hopeful that we will get a deal. Um, we think that this is tied, of course, to the politics. Uh, President Trump wants to go into next year's election um, in an environment where the economy is strong and equity markets are rising. So I think, you know, he's he's got scope and, the, uh, and a window to continue pushing hard for now. Uh, but we would still imagine that there's a good chance that a deal gets done later this year, because, of course, it's in China's interest, too. The Chinese economy is also weakening. Uh, they have a, clearly a self-interest in getting a resolution to this matter. It's just whether, given these uh, these big personalities that are involved in these discussions, whether we can actually get to a win-win situation. We remain hopeful, uh, but I think it's probably going to be not until late in the fourth quarter that that actually comes through. James, there's been a lot of talk about a possible currency war as well. Um, Trump seemed particularly irked by the yuan's move above seven. How likely is it that Trump intervenes to weaken the currency? Uh, there has certainly been growing talk about that possibility. Uh, we as a house uh, think it is it's looking less likely. We'd probably put around a 25% chance on a bank account foreign exchange team. Um, now, of course, it's also the problem is that it would be unilateral. It's hard to imagine that the... Uh, other central banks or other governments around the world are going to uh, be keen to support this. So again, that the success of any intervention is likely to be relatively limited. Um, now, the, pro the risk possibly is that we see a shift in language. This administration, they've always been backing this strong dollar uh, story. If that changes in addition to unilateral um, intervention, that could perhaps shift the situation. But again, at this stage, we think uh, the probability is relatively limited. I want to ask you just quickly about the flattening of the yield curve. There's very little difference between yields on the two and 10 year bonds. Of course, three month and 10 year are already inverted. Do you think this portends a recession? We've had the longest expansion in history in the US. Surely it must end at some point, mustn't it? Yeah, uh, there is clearly concern that, well, Sorry, of the last nine recessions in the last 55 years, all of them have been preceded by an inverted yield curve, i.e. Um, where they, they, it's, it's, it costs less to borrow over 10 years, over two years, or the interest rate on that debt is, is less. Now, uh, we would argue that there are perhaps some mitigating circumstances as to why this may be different at this time, particularly given the quantitative easing or the scale of quantitative easing the Federal Reserve has done. Also, the fact you've got negative bond yields in Europe, that makes U.S. long-dated yields still look um, very attractive uh, to invest in. Uh, so there's those sorts of issues coming through. Um, where I am a little bit nervous is that um, a flat yield curve or an inverted yield curve really does start to hurt the bank's profitability. Because, of course, they uh, they play the yield curve in terms of how that they operate. They, uh, they pay out over short term and they receive interest on the longer term. So... Uh, as I say, that hurts profitability. So that could deter lending on the behalf of, of banks. And if you start to see credit availability being hit, then there is the potential for that negative yield curve, i.e. the market worried about a downturn, becoming self-fulfilling. 
That was our Chief International Economist, James Knightley. In Europe, there are clear signs of an economic slowdown. Concerns about global trade are hitting manufacturing, inflation expectations have been falling, GDP is lacklustre, and there are growing fears of a recession in Europe's biggest economy, Germany. The ECB has already hinted that stimulus is coming in September, but what exactly does that mean? Our chief economist in Germany, Carsten Brzezewski, is here to discuss. Carsten, in Europe, there are concrete signs of slowing, but the ECB decided not to do anything for another six weeks or so. This is quite a different approach to the US strategy, where there hasn't been nearly as much evidence and it opted to strike preemptively. Do you think the ECB made a bit of a mistake in waiting? No, hi, Rebecca. I, I don't think that there was a real mistake. I think the problem was that not everyone at the ECB actually saw the necessity to already act. I think, you know, if it was only up to Mario Draghi, uh, he would have decided already at the July meeting to 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 act. Um, thing is that there were more hawkish members of the ECB who, who definitely said, no, let's wait. Plus, I think there is also a growing concern, at least among some ECB members, that uh, further monetary easing will, will not do the trick. Um, I think there is this growing awareness that, yes, there could be a rate cut. Yes, there could be more QE. But the biggest problem is that fiscal policy is not moving. And I think it will, it's now up to the ECB to, to balance. So shouldn't, you know, how much should they do? Uh, will Draghi convince the, the other members? I personally think he will. Because um, I think if there's anything we've learned over the last almost eight years um, of uh, Mario Draghi being in office, it is that always listen extremely carefully to Mario Draghi. And if Mario Draghi sounds concerned, he will manage to convince his uh, fellow uh, ECB members to go along with him in September. What would you say is the biggest risk to European growth right now? Is it trade tensions? Is it the global slowdown? Or is it the slowdown in the Eurozone specifically? The biggest risk right now is that the domestic economy has started to, to, to crumble, to falter. Because um, up to now, it was mainly, we know about the risks, we know about the trade uncertainties, and we know about industrial slowdowns in, for example, Germany, but, but also in, in, in Italy. So far, the issue was that, yes, there was this industrial slowdown, but the domestic economies in Europe were actually strong enough to, to offset um, the, these downward pressures, strong labor market, strong consumption. Um, so that, that was all good. But now, I think over the summer months, uh, we, we start to see that activity in services has come down. Um, that the labor market is losing momentum. And this is the, probably the biggest risk that these external risks are starting to be contagious for the, for the domestic economy, which also means that, yes, there are these external risks. And yes, the Eurozone economy is vulnerable to these external risks. But there is nothing actually that European policymakers can do um, to influence the U.S. or the, or the Chinese negotiators on the trade for, uh, on the trade. Side. So the only thing that the Eurozone could do out of its own strength would be to either do another round of monetary stimulus and or to also engage in fiscal stimulus. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But first of all, let's talk about Germany, because you've mentioned that the German economy is at a dangerous crossroads. And the data from Germany suggests we could see a contraction in the second quarter. 
But what about a recession? What's the likelihood of that, both in Germany and in the Eurozone? Yeah, there, of course, always this what, what's, what's in a name. And, you know, if, if we go for the economist definition of a recession, which is uh, two consecutive quarters with what we call negative growth or contraction, um, the risk that this is going to happen in Germany has, has clearly increased. Um, it's too it's too far too early to tell. Um, I think you know Germany is more or less unfortunately right now this uh, this showcase model of the industrial slowdown starting to harm the domestic economy, um, and uh, there is very little silver linings uh, out there. So when when you look at the second quarter activity in Germany right now, I think yes, private consumption was slightly up. Government consumption should be slightly up, but investments, construction, and probably also the export sectors were, were a drag on growth. So, you know, it's going to be a close call. I would still, as you know, I'm a bit more optimistic. I, I, I think that we can probably avoid a contraction in the, in the second quarter. But fact is, if you look further ahead, um, unless we really see significant government action, um, the base case is stagnation, and stagnation always means that we're going to be flirting with recession. This holds for the German economy, but this also holds for the entire Eurozone. So monetary policy alone is not enough, because right now their ammunition is pretty limited, isn't it? The deposit rate's been negative for five years. No, exa exactly. I think, you know, obviously they could do more of the same. And uh, at least as long Mario, as, as long as Mario Draghi is <clears throat> president at the ECB, um, they will be inclined to do whatever it takes. There, there is there is nothing worse, at least in the eyes of Mario Draghi, than a, a central bank which would have to admit that they have run out of ammunition. So therefore, they, they will act. But you can, you know, I think seriously ask the question, will the marginal effect still be positive? interest rates are already extremely low. If they were to cut the deposit rate even further down into more negative territory, which they will in my view, um, there are also adverse effects on, on, on the banking sector. We just uh, recently had the, uh, the latest uh, interest rate statistics out um, for, um, for loans for corporates. And I think there are also interest rates there are at record lows. So the problem is not so much that financing conditions should be made even more favorable. I think what the ECB can do right now is just to try to create a, a positive spin to, to if they show that they stand ready to act, this could be a, a sentiment booster. Um, it might also at the margins help some companies, but the big game changer would be governments really engaging in, in fiscal stimulus. And let's also be clear, they, they have the leeway to do it, especially when I look at, uh, at the German economy. German economy is currently still running a fiscal surplus of 1.5% of, of GDP. But what is the likelihood that they are actually going to embark on fiscal stimulus? Yeah, that is a very good question. And uh, the answer, I think, in the short run is close to zero. Because some, somehow, uh, at least the German government is still in complete denial. Uh, they are having a very short-sighted um, assessment of the economy. They look at the domestic economy and the snapshot assessment of the domestic economy is, yes, a bit, a bit weaker, but still 
extremely strong. So they don't see the necessity. I think you could argue while, while we have an ECB, which is trying to be ahead of the curve, we have a German government, which is clearly running behind the curve. So in the short run, the answer is likelihood is close to zero. Um, and now the question is, um, will the weakening of the domestic economy go fast enough? And will it be worse enough for the German government to finally act? And I think this could happen, but rather towards the end of the year than uh, Im imminently. Carsten, I want to ask you a final question about Brexit. This precarious position in Europe, does it bode well for the UK's Brexit negotiations? Do you think that the EU would be willing to plunge some economies into recession for political reasons when it's already on the edge? Yeah, this, is, this is a very tricky question because actually this is a scenario we have been discussing you know, for, for a long while, always arguing that you know, the EU will not be willing to let the economy plunge further in, into troubles only due to Brexit. You know, this, this might have been actually one of the reasons why, why the EU um, agreed to give more time to the British, uh, to, to the British government in, uh, in, in late March. So, so therefore, this, I think, is clear. The only thing, when you look at the Brexit negotiations, what has changed, instead of Theresa May, there is now Boris Johnson. And I think that Boris Johnson clearly has much fewer friends in Brussels and European capitals than Theresa May had. So, but this is more gut feeling. I, I think that many people, many, many politicians have simply have had it with the entire Brexit uh, um, negotiation. I think we're getting closer to a point in which they rather say we're willing to bite the bullet, but then we have at least some clarity than dragging on. That was our chief economist in Germany, Carsten Brzezewski. The rising probability of a no-deal Brexit has made the Bank of England's job much more complicated. But at the last meeting, policymakers signalled that rates would remain on hold for the foreseeable future. James Smith is our developed markets economist. James, we've got the Fed cutting rates, we've got the ECB signalling that it plans to ease global central banks all going in one direction, but the BOE is standing firm. What's going on? Well, it's really interesting because in years gone by, the Bank of England typically would have followed the Fed. But this time it's a bit different. The Fed has kind of reached a neutral level of policy, whereas the Bank of England is more inclined to say that the UK policy stance is still a bit accommodative and has been the case for a bit longer. So I think this time around rate cuts not quite so forthcoming. Um, but, I mean, it all depends on Brexit, of course. Uh, we barely know what's going to happen in three months, let alone three years. Well, we'll talk about all those Brexit scenarios in just a second. But I want to quickly ask you about second quarter GDP. Um, because it came in negative for the first time since 2012. Is there a danger of recession here? Well, what's important to remember is a lot of this is down to stockpiling. So in the first quarter of uh, this year, firms are building up stock levels, insulate themselves against possible supply chain disruption. That's kind of unwound. Actually, it unwound more than expected. Firms were actively 
uh, winding down their levels of stock according to these numbers. But when you strip all of this out, it's essentially noise. Um, the more concerning thing is business investment has started to fall again. It fell half a percent in the second quarter. And the problem is all of the Brexit uncertainty means there's very li limited appetite to expand the contingency planning activities. Well, that's costly, but it also just takes up your time and resources. So um, there's kind of less scope to do um, investment as well. I mean, if we take one example, the car industry, there's obviously a lot of things going on here, but uh, new investment in the first few months of this year, uh, 90 million pounds, that was down from around 350 million pounds same time last year. So there's clearly an uncertainty effect. But there are some good things going on at the same time. Wages, for example, are pretty strong. Yeah, it's actually really interesting. The consumer side's looking pretty bright. And in fact, while businesses are really responding to the uncertainty, consumers don't seem that phased. Uh, consumption, again, in the second quarter was about half a percent growth. That was similar to the first quarter. And wage growth, as you mentioned, really rising post-crisis high skill shortages are emerging throughout the economy. So when you put that together with the inflation backdrop, which is pretty benign, people have more money in their pockets. So this is kind of one bright spot at the moment. I think that's one reason why, for now at least, it seems we'll avoid a technical recession. OK, let's talk about your Brexit scenarios. You've got the odds of a no deal at 20%. But as things stand, we leave on October the 31st. Boris Johnson has said it's coming do or die. So is that a little bit low, do you think? Uh, it might be. I'm getting a little bit more nervous. Uh, 20%, maybe we put it 25, possibly even 30. But um, when you look at all of this, there's an almighty constitutional debate going on at the moment, whether or not a no confidence vote is good enough to stop no deal. So uh, one of the arguments is that the current prime minister can set the date of a new election. Uh, Parliament's answer is, yeah, well, we can come in with our own uh, government and national unity to kind of set the terms of the election, force an Article 50 extension. Um, and then in turn, there's this talk about whether or not the current prime minister is obliged to re uh, resign if there's a no confidence vote. So there's this huge debate going on as to whether or not no deal can be stopped. One th important thing to say, though, is is no deal really in the best interest for an election uh, for a government who's about to face an election you know an election into a week or a few weeks into a no deal will be very risky given the potential for some uh, supply chain disruption so i think at the moment a lot of this is kind of rhetoric really gearing up for that election campaign to take a tough stance on brexit so i think an election potentially uh, coupled with an article 50 extension forced by parliament so maybe an election in november december uh, that seems more and more likely, I would say 40 to 45%. Other scenarios, do we get a deal? Um, well, it certainly seems unlikely that there's going to be a big change to the current deal. The EU is very unwilling to uh, make changes to the controversial Irish backstop. Um, so if it's going to get through, it's really going to be about the politics. Maybe if some of the um, sort of more pro-Brexit conservatives uh, fear the risks of an election, um, they might be more inclined to vote for the deal. Uh, on the basis that they retain control of Brexit and the next phase. But I think the chance of it getting a deal through are getting less likely, maybe just um, sort of 20-ish uh, percent. Uh, Wildcard, second referendum, it's looking less likely at the moment, maybe 10 percent. Could come about, though, um, if there is an election and uh, Labour gets into power, but they need to do some kind of deal with other parties like the Lib Dems uh, to, to gain power. Obviously, if we do get a no-confidence vote in a general election, that means we'd have to ask the EU for an extension to Article 50. They'd have to agree, and we know France has objected to giving the UK more time. So is it possible they just say no? 
It is, although I think if it's for an election or a sort of what they might call a democratic event, um, I think they will be open to it. They don't want to be seen to sort of blocking uh, what you might call the will of the people. It's a little bit different if we apply for an extension and there's not a justification. I think France and other countries may be less willing in that circumstance. Let's assume October 31st is no deal, we're out. What is going to be the Bank of England's policy response? Well, first and foremost, I think it probably means rate cuts, even though the bank has formally said rates could go in either direction. Um, we're at 75 basis points for rates now. They could go to just above zero, so sort of three-ish rate cuts, perhaps some more quantitative easing. A couple of points, though. Firstly, Bank of England might take a little bit longer than they did back in August 2016 to evaluate uh, what's going on. Um, so we may not get a, a cut at that November meeting, which comes just a few days after October the 31st. Of course, the other thing to say is, you know, there is a limited amount monetary policy can do in all of this, given all the uncertainty uh, and possible supply chain shortages. Well, Boris Johnson has, has promised tax cuts and spending. Maybe the government will have to do more. They may well do, and uh, I think in the event of no deal, they would step up um, uh, certain spending and kind of Brexit-related spending. Um, and there's been a lot of promises about this at the moment, kind of various spending pledges made on the campaign trail for the new leadership. Um, but I think a lot of this at the moment is geared towards, um, as I was mentioning before, a kind of forthcoming election campaign. They want to uh, try and win, uh, particularly voters in the North who maybe traditionally vote Labour. They want to kind of uh, make the economic case for voting for the Conservatives. That was our developed markets economist, James Smith. This podcast has been prepared by ING solely for information purposes, irrespective of the particular user's means, financial situation or investment objectives. The information does not constitute an investment recommendation and nor is it investment legal or tax advice or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any financial instrument.